Well, the first secret I had was the first time I cheated. It was in seventh grade. It was this moment where I was in the closet with my boyfriend's friend and he came in the closet when we were like hiding it. We were like playing a game. I can't even remember the game. And he kissed me and I kid you not, it was like heroin shot up my body. The power and control I felt over this young kid in seventh grade was just all consuming. It was this moment of like my household was in shambles. My parents didn't get along. I didn't see a healthy relationship mirrored to me. I lived in fantasy because I was a latchkey kid and watched too much television and film. And so I had this unrealistic idea of what romance felt like when this kid kissed me and I cheated for the first time. It was like the best high in the world. And I kept that secret for the longest time. Nobody knew. But first, a word from our sponsors. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Shout out to all of my friends and lovers. What's up, all you tops and tossers? This is Billy Persida, and you are listening to the Man Whore Podcast. Coming to you every Wednesday for nearly nine years talking about lust and love, talking about dicks and dating. If this is your first time to the program, welcome to it. This week on the podcast, I've got on actor, director, author, podcaster, Brienne Davis. She hosts the Secret Life podcast, where she talks to strangers about their secrets. But she also uh, has long struggled with sex and love addiction. Uh, But first, I got to say, Naked Comedy Show, it is coming back to the Hacienda in Bushwick, March 18th. Yes, that's our next date, March 18th. Naked Comedy has been so hot. We're doing two shows. Yeah, we're doing an 8 and a 10. And tickets are going to go on sale next week, so do not miss out. And if you don't want to miss that first ticket drop, get on my mailing list at manwhorepod.com. Get hyped, get excited. I got a couple of uh, great lineups with New York City's funniest naked comedians and even some of the most naked funny ones, too. Uh, and if you want to see me do stand-up I, with my clothes on, I guess, and for free, I'll be at Bridge and Tunnel Brewery this Sunday, 6.30 p.m. Uh, last week, I, I, I fulfilled my unique potential uh, to talk about fashion. Uh, I went to go speak at Curve which is a lingerie conference. And I was on a panel talking about men's lingerie because of course I was. We had Billy Porter's personal designer. We had a guy who, uh, who creates a great line of male intimates called Menagerie. Talked about them a lot over the years. Uh, there was a mental health professional, a woman who runs a lingerie store, and then me, dumpy straight man comedian. Because that's a perspective we still sometimes need, I guess. This was an expo that was for, um, you know, people who are either designing lingerie or they run a lingerie store. And so, and and one of the big questions is like, well, how do we market to men? I mean, like queer men, you kind of know how to market the jock straps too. That's kind of already an established market. Here's where here's my big stance on this, and I'm telling you it because the the women listening right now, you're a big part of this. Check it out. 
there's going to be the guys who have always wanted to wear something sexy, something lacy. Okay, that guy exists, and he he already knows he's trying to look for stuff. When you put out your marketing campaigns, you're going to find them, and that's all well and good. But there are a lot of dudes who don't know or don't realize they have permission to wear something silky, something lacy, something light and pretty. And no, no billboards really going to, I mean, unless you get LeBron, if you can get LeBron in like a full body stocking, you know, like, I think you could, you can move the needle a lot, but outside of that, no billboard is going to convince men to go start buying, you know, sexy underwear, men who bang women need to see women posting on social media about men in lingerie they need to see and hear the women they want to have sex with posting about this that's how they're going to know it's real there were women in that audience who were like yeah like i have a store and women come in because they say they want to see their husband or their boyfriend in something hot but he won't do it and you know how you're going to get him to do it when he sees like five of his wife's friends post on Instagram, you know, pictures of dudes wearing men's lingerie. And when he's like, oh, well, you know, Cheryl, Diane, and Denise, they all seem to think this is hot. So I guess it's hot. I'm going to buy it because it's no longer like his wife nagging him. It's now, you know, he sees that this is something women think are sexy. And some of them are going to buy it and be like, I'm doing this to get laid. And some of them are going to do it to get laid. And they're going to discover something about themselves. What I'm trying to say is if you are someone of a feminine persuasion and you want to see men wearing lingerie, you want to see men wearing sexier stuff underneath their clothes, you want your play party date to dress a little more fabulously. It's not enough to tell them that you want it. They need to see that women in general think it's hot. And that's going to come on social media. That's going to be when someone speaks up at a party. Uh, I'll have a link to that panel in the show notes. I think it is up on YouTube right now. I think I, I, I got a few jokes and I got I got a couple laughs. So that was fun. Uh, before we get to Brienne Davis, let's do a quick fan whore appreciation moment. Okay. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Kay, a former patron who has now returned, uh, the prodigal patron, if you will. Longtime listener, love that she's back. And I also want to give a shout out. She has a podcast about sex. It's called Give a Fuck Podcast. She's even had, a, I think she's even had a couple of fan whores on, on herself. So go check that out if you're looking for some more. And you too can become a member of my Patreon community, gain access to a slew of bonus content, and support the whore that you love you can do all of that for really just two bucks a month. May not seem like a lot to you. I promise it's a lot to me. Become a member today. Support the pod you love at patreon.com slash podcast or download the Patreon app and find me on there. For the rest of this month, I am still offering seven day free trials to my $5 tier. Gain access to nearly 300 bonus episodes, all the behind the scenes stuff. And if you get your free trial right now, you can join us tomorrow night for the hot movie night, which members know is tomorrow night in the champagne room. Anyways, patreon.com, man whore podcast, you know the deal. And now for this week's guest, Brianne Davis. 
Uh, you may recognize her from shows like Lucifer and Six. She also has a book out called Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, a novel. Got a, got a, got a few ads here, and then uh, let's go talk to Brianna a bit. And so uh, how long have you been with the husband? With the husband, we've been together for 18 years. So I got mm. into recovery while I was in a relationship. Lots of people get in when they're breaking up or in a toxic relationship. The reason I got in is because I knew I was about to b- blow up my relationship once again with an, an unavailable person because the intimacy was getting too real. So I had to really take a look at myself and say, hey, it can't be all these people not giving me what I want or not being my soulmate or my perfect partner or whatever you want to call it these days. I had to say, hey, the common denominator is me. Something something it has to be worked out with me. It's not somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of us would normally think, uh, you know, someone comes to this realization about themselves, like in the midst of a breakup. I don't think we normally think of somebody mm-hmm. like being with somebody for five to six years and then going, oh, you know, so so what's that moment of realization like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's really tricky. The beautiful thing is my husband is in recovery. So I got lo- I, I for think the I same- picked the perfect. No, he's in recovery for alcohol. He's been in recovery now for 33 years of alcohol addiction. Oh, wow. And drugs. So he had a recovery background. Yeah. He so gets when it. I came, I, he gets it. So he gets that he could be the perfect partner and whatever your addiction is, it has nothing to do with him. So he had enough Al-Anon work and codependency work to see that. So when I, you know, was on location, shooting something, started flirting with this person I didn't even like as a person, which is the first sign. Like, wait, you're with someone or flirting with someone you actually don't like being being red flag. Something's going on. And I remember, like, I like my boyfriend. I'm about to cheat. Something's wrong here. And I had one of those dark night of the soul moments when I was looking in a mirror at my hotel in my hotel room. And I'm like, wow, it's me. Am I going to be doing this till I'm 80? Am I going to keep going from relationship to relationship, sometimes overlapping them, looking for this magical, fantasy, mystical person that is going to give me everything I think I need and fill that, you know, emptiness. And I got home. I went to see this, my friend's therapist. And she said two things, and I and I I, I love that I get to share that. First of all, she said, you wear the, uh, the mask of a high-class prostitute. And I was like, what? I got so defended in my like, oh. And I was like, wait, I have gone to dinner and like accepted gifts from people I didn't like. So that is a form of prostitution. But I was like not going to take it from her. I was like, no, that's not true. You don't know me at all. I haven't had many sexual partners because I am a sex and love addict, just so you know, with not a lot of sexual partners. And the last thing she said is she goes, oh, my God, I know your secret you're a sex and love addict. And I said, what is that? And so there's these 40 questions. You can go online right now if this is ringing true, if you're a cheater, a liar, if you go from relationship to relationship, if you have a lot of sexual partners, one night stands, masturbate a lot, look at porn a lot, all those things are in the realm of sex and love addiction. And I did the 40 questions and you have to read the book. It's chapter three. You'll find out how many I got yes. And it was just very evident that I had this issue. So I went to my first meeting that night, 
12-step meeting. It was 30 people. No one looked like me, acted like me. But this guy was speaking and he said, everything I ever thought did, almost did. And I was like, these are my people. So that was the beginning. The beginning of the end. The death of me. So I was going to ask, like, in terms of the de- definition of a sex and love mm-hmm. addict, like, that's not necessarily, like, the volume, but and kind of to mm-hmm. what your point of minimal partners, it's more like the reason why you're doing it, not necessarily yeah. how much you're doing it, right? Exactly. So I always say if – I said to you, can you leave this person? Would you be okay? If the answer is no, that's like the first red flag. The second Mm -hmm. red flag is if you assign magical qualities to this person or this relationship, if it's like fills this need and then slowly dissipates and it's not enough for you, that's another red flag. You know, the masturbating when you have a feeling, if you compulsively masturbate Mm. or look at porn to escape yourself or because you're bored because boredom is actually unfelt feelings. It's usually sadness when you're bored. Just Mm. so, so I even say, if you're bored, look at why you're bored. What's going on in your life? What are you not feeling? So it's not the quantity. It's when you do it. So I would, you know, go from person to person not many sexual partners and be like, oh, who's my next person? Who's my next victim? And then I would like make myself the most available looking person to them and 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 like flow all this love and, and enmeshment and, and trauma bonding and oversharing and all those things. And then when I, the high wore off, you know, the first love high, the butterflies, like the falling in love is the best feeling in the world. But when that would wear off, I would start looking for somebody else. Like I would start my radar. Mm. I have a lot of guy friends, a lot of the friends I would have sex with. Those kind of things are signs of it. And if you answer the 40 questions and you only get five of them, yes, that's still a sign you could have this issue. Because here's the thing. Five society, seems like such a low threshold, though. I like, know I, like, it does, I go but to, that's I go what to, they say. I go to sex parties where, like, it's a lot of people who just have sex with their friends. Sometimes they only do mm-hmm. that at the mm-hmm. parties. And so I just feel like those questions are written for, like, a quote-unquote, like, normal person or whatever. You know, I'd be like, I don't know. Like, it doesn't No, we really- have a lot of people. <laughs> I work with a lot of people that do sex parties and p- people that are in multiple relationships. But is there secrets and lies? Is communication done? Are you are you manipulating somebody? That Are you using your sexuality as a currency? You know, you and I have talked about it. Do you use mm. your sexuality as a currency to manipulate and control other people? That's one of the signs too. Mm. People, when mm. I tell them I'm a sex and love act, they're like, ooh, I should have met you when. Ooh, and it's like, stop it. That's not attractive to use someone else to get my needs met, to get the mm. attention, the validation, the sexual high, the gratification. And the secrets and the darkness behind it because it's always done in usually secrets. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you can have sex and, 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 and be sexually free and all that stuff. But why are you doing it is what mm-hmm. I always ask. What's your payoff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it's usually to come. But, like, you know, I think <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good question that one should ask themselves. <laughs> um, I thought but that's why most coming, of us were doing it. Wait, no, but are you coming to not feel a feeling? Are you coming because something happened in your life you don't want to deal with? Are you coming because your partner wants to go deeper in Im- intimacy, but you just want to, like, get mm. off instead? Do you see the difference? 
Absolutely. I do get nervous about the use of the addict language in this mm-hmm. society. And, and also, you know, we've seen it with the, with, with other celebrities, not, you know, you got the Tiger Woods type stuff where you get caught cheating. So you go like, I'm a sex addict. No, I'm tired of that narrative too. I'm so tired of that narrative. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, you know, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, plug in the book. But that's why I wrote it so people can actually pick it up and see there's different varieties of what a sex and love addict. It's not just someone that's cheated on their wives, getting caught, then going to rehab. That's not it. There's even love anorexics, sexual anorexics sure. that get hurt and they shut down and don't they're not sexual for a couple years or they stop dating or they're scared of intimacy the whole thing is you're afraid of intimacy you're fear of abandonment you have low self-esteem and you are afraid of being loved that's underneath any sex addict Mm. sex and love addict love addict what was the what was the first secret that you had that was tied to your slaa Well, the first secret I had was the first time I cheated. It was in seventh grade and I wrote about it. It was this moment where I was in the closet with my boyfriend's friend and Mm -hmm. he came in the closet when we were like hiding it. We were like playing a game. I can't even remember the game. And he kissed me and I kid you not, it was like heroin shot up my body. The power and control I felt over this young kid in seventh grade was just all consuming. It was this moment of like my household was in shambles. My parents didn't get along. I didn't see a healthy relationship mirrored to me. I lived in fantasy because I was a latchkey kid and watched too much television and film. And so I had this unrealistic idea of what romance felt like. And I, when this kid kissed me and I cheated for the first time, it was like the best high in the world. And I kept that secret for the longest time. Nobody knew. When did you let go of that secret? In the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my therapist. I told my therapist. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did did, uh, did your seventh grade boyfriend ever like uh, find out about this through the book and then like reached out and was like, what the fuck? No, but I, when the book came out, you should, I had a lot of exes come out and tell and say, oh my God, I knew something. Uh, you know, I didn't know you were going through that. And recently I had that boy reach out to me, the one that I cheated with. Mm. on Instagram and it was like he's suffering somehow and I and he reached out and I guess at like midnight or 2 a.m. and I said I'm sorry you're suffering I hope you get help because I don't know what's going on and he was reaching out independent from this discovery oh wow yeah yeah that's wild. Yeah. Um, what what was the what was the cheating about for you? You know, it's something that's referenced in like the interviews and the pieces you've written. It's all power and control. When you cheat, you have a secret. You're splitting yourself. So you're disconnecting from yourself. And I would become this persona, someone else. I could be someone else. Just kind of like being an actor. My therapist was like, you pick the worst career for your addiction because you're constantly being someone else instead of yourself. But when I cheated, I could be this other whole persona. But the problem is you can only keep that up for so long. Sooner or later, the cracks start, you know, the the unrealistic expectations on the person, the hurting them because I'm hurting. And does the fact that like being an actor, I mean, you're in a profession Mm -hmm. where, I mean, depending on the actor, but generally speaking, a lot of them very attractive, uh, Mm -hmm. if it's okay that I say so, and that like you're surrounded by other attractive people, like does that, did that play a factor at all? You know, it's interesting because when I would go to a job, 
it wasn't about how attractive somebody was. It was if mm. I could manipulate and control them. <laughs> so I could be with the hottest actor, and if I can't manipulate and control them, I'm not interested in it. I never mm. wanted to be in the the less power position. So I'm not one of those sex and love addicts that picked that man that had all that money that could have power and control. I was wanting the power and control. So yes, is it hard? You go on location and everybody's attractive. But here's the thing I know is I you could be with the most attractive person. And if you have intimacy problems, that person gets uglier and uglier and uglier. One of the best sayings I heard from this old timer, he was like, pick the hottest person in the world and somebody's sick of fucking them. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Yo, that is true though. Yeah. That is it true. Is. Yeah. So looks don't, I know looks don't matter, but I just, it was all about manipulation and control and power. Yeah. I mean, looks like might not matter, but also there is something that, you know, when, when attraction, when there's just a bunch of hot people in the room, you know, frankly, like a, even a polyamory, like potluck dinner uh, can break out into some stuff uh, just because like, oh, we're all hot and fun and like reasonably decent in bed. Sure. That sounds better <laughs> than playing fucking Scrabble. It's like, <laughs> Although a lot of Bali well, people the love their about, Scrabble. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing about actors. They're like the most insecure people. So it's not like you are with them. There's You're like okay. a military. Okay, can you hear that? The military? A little bit. Is like, I personally think that it adds ambiance to a podcast. Oh. Like, it's like, oh my God, okay. I'm in the room with them. It's like, yes, I also hear the uh, the drug bust going on three blocks away in Bushwick. Like, oh, it's like I'm right in the room. <laughs> okay, good. Then, then keep it. But uh, the actors are the most insecure. So you get around with a bunch of actors. They're not all fucking each other. They're all like worried about their lines, their makeup, you know, what they're going to eat later if they have time to go to the gym. So it's not like those type of people were my kind of people I was attracted to. But have I been with actors? Yes. Will I ever tell? No. (laughs) Read the book. (laughs) Read the book. Sure. But, you know, and feel free to use an example if you care to. But like how if it did, did your addiction get in the way of work? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think for sure my addiction got in the way of my work because I was putting so much energy and intriguing, validating, flirting with people on set that I probably didn't do my job all the time. I probably didn't put so much energy into my work that I didn't, you know, go to the next level. I'm a working actor. I made a living for 20, almost 25 years now as a working actor and doing nothing else. So I'm very lucky, but I definitely think it got in the way of my self-esteem. If I was going through fights or a breakup or from one relationship to another, traveling the world to even go to see people, I was missing auditions. I was doing those self-sabotaging things to my career at the same time. Mm. I mean, are there any examples of like onset drama? No names needed, but like, is there a kind of an example where you were like, ah, oh, fuck that, like that almost lost me this gig because like a thing happened or they're like, you can't book Brianne. She's going to fuck the DP uh, in a DP <laughs> and it's going to just get complicated between him and the grip. See, but here's the beautiful thing about me, and I'm going to say I was like the best secret keeper. You wouldn't know. It was like I wore the face of like this perfect, never did anything wrong, but behind the scenes I was just like acting out like crazy. So I actually never got caught that way, and Mm. I got lucky, but I saw a lot of other people get caught, and there's this whole world in LA, the showman's world. So when you go on location, everybody's fucking everybody. So it's really not a big deal 
they're married, they're not married, their wife is coming to visit, everybody is doing it. And I write about that in the book is like, it was almost acceptable to go on location and to be acting out. So I never felt like anybody was gossiping about me. I kept it so well hidden. Yeah. That that's what and that was I think what I was getting at before. I'm like, well, you know, you're on shoot, you're on location, you're in Arizona. It's kind of like, hey, let's like, you know, I, I so so that's it, is that true? That just you know, yeah, pe- in Hollywood, it's it gets it gets mm-hmm. spicy. Always that I think that's why you see so many Hollywood marriages breaking up because it is just a way of life. You go on location, the DP's fucking one of the extras you know the director's sleeping with the lead actor like it, it's so jumbled usually the lead actor guy is sleeping with some makeup girl like you could literally go on set and go they're sleeping with this person they're about to sleep together you could you could see it <laughs> it's like a game i did it one time i was shooting in san francisco on this tv show i was on for a while and i was sitting around the circle of all us actors and the director and everybody and it was like the male actor was sleeping with the wardrobe. The other male actor was going through a divorce, trying to sleep with a makeup girl. The fe- Like I – around the circle. And I was like, oh my God, we're all a bunch of sex and love addicts, like looking for <laughs> attention and validation. <laughs> and so in your recovery, you know, I read that you you did a, a, year, of, a year of abstinence. Yes. I, I think that's kind of like the standard. Like they want you to do a year like that, right? Well, actually, that's the difference between like AA or NA. It's very gray. It's not black and white. So everybody has different set rules. Sure. For me, I just feel like I've heard that number a lot. Well, a year is always good because you get a chance to actually find yourself in a year, but they've tried to, to do 90 days at first. So the first 90 days, you try not no. to be sexually active. But they see, Ugh. like, sometimes people don't have a problem with masturbation. Sometimes people don't have a problem with cheating. So it just really depends on what your specific need is. Mm-hmm. And you were, and again, to bring it back a bit, you're with the man who eventually becomes your husband. You're not married yet, yeah. correct? And correct. so what the fuck was that year like for you? What was it like for him? Brutal. It was brutal for both of us. And we lived together. We already lived together because I'm a sex and love addict. So I move in after a month, like no boundaries whatsoever. So we were already living together and we didn't have sex for the year. And so what that would look like is, you know, we would hug and kiss, but I couldn't physically give myself to somebody else when I didn't have myself anymore. I was so Mm. disconnected from my own sexuality and I used it so long to get power and control and not to feel and be in my body that I had to own my body back. So I did therapy twice a week. I did body work, Reiki work. I did cupping all that stuff, moving trauma around. I did this 12 steps. I worked with a sponsor. I went to a bunch of meetings and I would cry and he wouldn't even be allowed to comfort me. So it was a really separate healing process, which Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful we got through because there is a couple moments where it's like watching the person you love crying and not being able to like show your love for them has to be debilitating at times for him. And you, I'll ask him. We don't talk about it very often, but he said it was really hard for him as well. It's really tough. But I, I didn't so even I went, masturbate. I didn't do anything. Oh, like anything. Man. Oh, I know. Like you, fi- like you finally, yeah. once you pass it all, like you're opening the old drawer and like everything's got dust on it. You're like, oh, this Lilo, totally. like it was once you're good. like, how I does got- this work? 
<laughs> you just give a good blow. Uh, just to be like, get on, come on. Okay. Uh, he's like, because nobody wants to go spend another grand on toys again, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, 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 I went to a, I went to like a, like a. It's not therapeutic because there was no therapist, but like it was an alternative boarding school, lots of seminaring, talking about your feelings. And, you know, especially during the family stuff, when we'd have family weekends, you know, when my mom mm-hmm. would come and participate, there were times where like I, she'd be crying and she'd be in pain and she's sharing something tough and it's tough for me to hear. And all I want to do is comfort my mom. And yeah. I, you know, there were times where it was like, especially early on, as I learned this, they were like, Billy, you need to like, let her. Mm-hmm. Let her feel this. Let her feel this pain. It's also not my job as a child to always make sure she's not feeling pain. So, like, it is yeah. so tough to look at someone you love and care about more than most people in the world or anyone in the world and 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 see them hurt and know you could help, but it would only be temporary and you might be doing damage long term. So you actually have to like let them struggle. Um they, we would yeah, call it honor the struggle. Yeah, yeah. I, we call that letting the withdrawal happen so it's yeah. or someone's like crying and you want to hand them tissue box and it'll be like if they need tissues they can ask for tissues or get up and get the mm-hmm. tissues but we're not going to instinctively give people tissues yeah because it's stopping the process of how they're trying to grieve and extract so mm-hmm. for me it helped that my therapist was guiding me through it and him at the same time. So we had, I had to explain, you know, like every time I cry, it's trauma coming out of my body. So when you see me crying, it's, I need to extract that. So I, she would explain it. Like you have to explain to him, like you're digging through all your internal shit to get to your gold. Mm -hmm. And it's not his job to help me find the gold. I have to do it myself. Yeah. Even if, even if he knows exactly where the gold is, it's like it's. You will never know where the gold is, though. That's but, the but thing. Like, well, but even if someone knew, its idea is again. It's like even if you already have the answer for a thing, it's like you have to let the person do the process, or you're cheating yes. them. Yes. You know. Yes, and you're playing God. Sorry, mm-hmm. I'm gonna even go to the God G O D word, which I had a hard time with the God or higher power. But when you're taking on someone's feelings or fixing it for them, you're playing God and not allowing their own process to heal. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for someone who's like me, like anxiously attached, like part of that, Mm -hmm. um, part of that is, well, if I can help them and make them feel better, I have like shown my worth and value and why they should be with Mm -hmm. me and all that stuff. And it's just really hard sometimes to like, let that go. And, uh, yeah. And my husband's very similar to you. He's very codependent and wants to fix and he's a fixer and he wants to have everyone happy. And it was really hard for him. So he was even working his program around that at the same time. So we were both doing work. I think that was the beauty. If both people are willing to do the work together that and walk the path and not enmesh with each other in the process, I just got really lucky that he was willing to do the work too because we could have not been together. It could have not worked out. Yeah. I now I I ask this not coming from a pervy place, but okay. <laughs> before you know whether it's before you met your now husband or before all the um, the addiction revelation. But what was your relationship like with your orgasm or pleasure? It was not to feel. Literally, I would uh-huh. only do it when a feeling would happen, and I would do it multiple times. So it's that's another sign if it's like the one orgasm is not enough, and you like want to have multiple. So you just want that feeling over and over again. So now if I want to do that, 
Cause I, you know, you can get to a place to bring sexuality back in a healthy way. That's why I always tell people, we just take it away for a while, work on you and bring it back in a healthy way with healthy tools. So now when I want to do it, I always ask myself, what's going on? Am I feeling something? Am I not? So I give myself a couple minutes and I'm like, no, I'm good. Like I just, so it's having that awareness and conversation because I started Mm -hmm. masturbating at like I write about it in the book, I, I think three or four. Like I started really, really young to self-soothe. It was a self-soothing mechanism that I, you know, fell into yeah. with my teddy bear. And I right. was like, this is it. This is how I feel good when my parents are fighting in the other room and they're arguing about money and, you know, not mirroring, like I said, a healthy relationship. I never saw my parents sleep in the same bed. I never saw them hold hands say I love you, be be like a healthy couple. So that's how I self-soothe. So I use that my whole life. Yeah. And just to clarify again, and this is, again, this is me almost mm-hmm. speaking to everyone else just so they know uh, that it's it's not the act that it's not that you were masturbating at three or four. That is not the sign of a sex and love act, right? So if you are hearing this, be like, well, I did too. I've had quite a few exes, you know, who also were very young masturbators, but also that's not that's not necessarily means like, oh, well, now then you were a sex addict, but rather it was no. why you were doing it and how it you know carried carried through. Uh, just so I, I make sure I'm putting that out there uh, again. I feel just I feel so almost like protective of a listener, because although this is your <laughs> truth and stuff, we just live in the society that is ascribing that to the point you've got so many therapists who are trying to push back against even the concept of sex addiction. Yeah, but I do have to say just to go against you a little in the way is there are a lot of sex and love addicts in our society. Our society amplifies it actually. It, it, It almost glorifies it like go find that partner, the Disney movies, all of that stuff over and over that is you know, planning your wedding, looking for it, like use your sexuality. So it is actually amplifying more people having this intimacy problem. So it's really an intimacy problem. And you just use fantasy and love and always searching and relocating and going from city to city, person to person. So yeah, I don't, I don't ever work with anybody and immediately label them sex and love addict. Do they have tendencies? Are they using a relationship to not feel a feeling? Are they staying in a relationship because they're scared to be alone? All those are true as well. So but it it's getting worse and worse and our younger generations are really suffering. They're having huge intimacy problems. You know, social media is amplifying this facade on t- fantasy on top of it. So I just have to say that as well. But I don't go around and just diagnose willy-nilly people. It's not bad to be shown the Disney print- princess. It's just bad if like you're only shown Disney princess, which when you – get to like the adult films it's more like uh the mother character who has like two scenes and 13 lines and is really only there to serve like the husband or the the child character and so she's not even right that but that's that's it's yes more i've like, had those roles yes right. i have those roles i was like do i need to repeat this same every episode to my husband Ugh. problem isn't the disney princess it was the problem i think that historically has been is it was mostly or only the Disney princess. But now if it's like, well, there's Disney princesses and then Disney princesses look differently and are behaving differently. And then there's the non like just so long as there's a variety. So people see, I don't know. Oh, it can be all the of Disney these things. Prin- the, the Disney princesses I grew up with is if you're asleep, a prince comes and rescues you by right. kissing you. The but Disney today we have like the brave like- chick. We have Moana. Like it's, it's a different, different yes. thing. 
That's what I'm, yes, I'm getting at. As long as there's a variety of type, yes. then I think there's less damage done. And But the problem is I think people mm-hmm. ignore that intimacy issue or mm-hmm. and they see the people who are having a lot of sex or they're casual about sex. And because that person viewing them has issues with sex, they go, they're having a lot of sex, so they're a sex addict. I that's agree, a, that's but here's hesitancy. the thing. I work with people and I say, okay, you've done the healing. Let's see if you can do one night stands, casual sex. Like okay. you might be able to. Some people are not able to. I personally am not able to do that. That was never my thing and I don't enjoy that. But that can be brought back in a healthy way. Being sexual isn't a bad thing. It's just how you use it. That's yeah. all. I think that's the difference. And I think you and I are on the same page, but I yeah. totally get the message of like if you're out there sleeping around – you are a sex addict. I don't believe that. But if you're out there sleeping around and your self-worth is attached to the sleeping around and then how you feel after, if there's shame, if there's guilt, if there's even a high about it, that might be a problem. Absolutely. So, so you know, after that year was up and use whatever language, it can be just emotions if mm-hmm. you want to, but how was that first time? That must have been explosive. No. <laughs> Honestly, it was great, but it was a little awkward. <laughs> it was because I felt like I was newly a virgin or something. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. I couldn't use the old tricks or go into my disconnection head. So being completely present with another person and like connected, I felt like ah. <laughs> It's like you once you're finally I mean. present, you're like, balls are weird. Uh, it's like I, totally. I never noticed before. Like, oh, this is <laughs> this is weird. Okay. So it was like it was it was like I was learning all over again. That's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. So and <laughs> how long do you I mean, how long, whether it's terms of you know, like I mean numbers of time or length of time, mm-hmm. how how long did it take for you to feel like you got back into a good and healthy sexual groove with your husband? Oh my God. Well, it goes in waves because here's the thing with this work that you do, it come, you're peeling the onion, right, to the healing. Mm. So I reach a threshold and I feel great and things I'm connected to my body and then another trauma thing comes up that I didn't deal with and I have to do that healing. So it really comes in waves for me and I – you know, we've been together now for so long, it still comes in waves. It's different oh, So sometimes you have to take another break? Sometimes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I I just hit – I call it – we call it a second surrender. After a decade of recovery or like 15 years, you do this like second surrender where old old things wash up and you have to like heal another layer. So that was a time that we took a break where I was like crying every day for like a month and I had no idea why. Like nothing was wrong and it was just this next wave of sadness and trauma that I hadn't felt. Did you see the movie uh, Thank You for Sharing? Yes. Mm-hmm. And what would you th- – great movie, everybody, starring Mark Ruffalo, Tim Robbins, um, uh, Josh Gad, and oh, gosh, Pink just doing her thing. What would you think of that film and its depiction of that addiction? I think it's mm, – it didn't do that great for everybody in the program. It, it did the best that anyone has done. I think at times it got a little cheesy because a lot of times in our darkest moments, especially in the in, with each other and in the rooms, there's a lot of laughter and fun. It's actually 
the best, healthiest room in the world and we laugh a lot at ourselves while we're healing. So it got a little like at times for me and a, and then a little sticky with the the 12-step lingo. I wish they would have backed off a little because we don't use that lingo as much. So that that it like rubbed me the wrong way, but I think it mm-hmm. did the closest it could because this addiction is so cunning and baffling and hard to capture in just one movie. Yeah. Um, so that was my it, thought on it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with a subject matter that hasn't been covered much. Yes, you know, if you're yes. doing a movie on heroin addiction, well, there's been a whole bunch. You don't always have to. We all kind of as a society know. But unfortunately, you know, when we don't know, it's, they're kind of like, well, we got to throw out the lingo so people can know the thing. And so it's mm-hmm. it's almost like I don't know another sex addiction movie um, nope. or other than the there was the one with, with Fassbender uh, yes. that I didn't see. That's oh, no, pure sex shame. addiction, though. Shame, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That's pure sex addiction. That's not sex and love addiction. So sure, I think sure. shame did a really good job, but only showing one aspect of a, a sex addict. I wish they would have shown a little bit more just his journey, but I think they did a good job of the devastation and the grief and the guilt. And then the relationship between him and his sister, the enmeshingness and inappropriateness, I think they captured really well with that. And then at the end, him about to go act out again. Because this addiction, there's a lot of slips. There's a lot of setbacks. You you, it's like two steps forward, three steps back. It's like a learning sure. disease where you have to keep practicing. It's progressive. So I think Shame did a, a better job than Thank You for Sharing. Okay. And we don't even uh, say slightly... thank you for sharing. It's just so <laughs> annoying. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah, I think that's like general recovery of all sorts of thing, like kind of yeah. lingo, but, uh, you know. Yeah. On a slightly different track, I so, uh, you know, in my Discord server, the Champagne Room, folks, link in the show notes if you want to join us in there. Uh, we have a patron-only channel called Ask the Guest. Uh, Patreon members can uh, ask questions, and I will ask ask them. If they're, th- if these are bad questions, by the way, wasn't my idea. So, I you know, I don't feel bad. It's great. <laughs> okay. Uh, but Chuck, Chuck wanted to know, in regards to your, your show, Secret Life, um, what is the most surprising secret you've heard on your podcast? And... Have you drawn any conclusions about the types of secrets we keep? Oh, my God. I think the most profound one and jarring, well, there was two of them that really shook me. It was one of the first anonymous people I had on. Her name is Kristen, and she shot herself in the chest with a shotgun and survived, obviously, and took me through why she did it to reach – she couldn't reach perfectionism and how it felt when the bullet went in and the whole process afterwards. And I was just like the the beautiful rawness that she exposed on that episode, I, it just changed my life and I'll forever be indebted to her. And then another one that did, really Did you know the secret was, before – did you know the secret before no, you booked No, I don't her? always know the secret before. No, especially when I started the show, I just reached out to a bunch of – I put a blast out and I reached out to a bunch of my friends in Hollywood and people and just said, hey, if you have a secret or you want to share, come on. And a lot of people were sex and love addicts, but I started getting people from everywhere all over the world. So I didn't know her secret before. Oh, that's wild. Because then you have to, like, as a host, kind of keep it together. But also inside, you're just going, oh, what the fuck? Like, right? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. 
But it was just such a – I've never experienced such a connection with someone I've never met. And that was like the moment for me where I was like, this is something bigger than me. And it's mm-hmm. giving people a voice that don't always have a voice. I mean, just our – the other one that shook me is someone I know that she used abortions as a form of birth control. So she walks me through every time she did that. So that one was a little like <gasps> – but I've had so many – I mean, we've had so many fucking good episodes. I mean, I could sit here forever. I mean, we've had episodes where, you know, being assaulted by a, a police officer, sexually assaulted. You, we've had – I can't even begin to tell you how many, you know, emotionally incestuous with their mother. It's just like left and right. And here's the thing. The one that keeps coming back is a lot of men come on the show and share about a sexual assaults that they – I have more men come on and share about sexual assaults than I do women, which is really telling to me that men don't mm-hmm. get a place to actually express those things that happen to them. There is also sexual assault that men receive from women and feeling forced to perform an act they actually don't want to do. And society tells a man most of the time that they have to do it or they should man up or that's what they're supposed to do. So I completely agree. You don't want to you don't want like you advocating for yourself sexually sometimes to hurt someone else's feelings but that's not the priority. You got you are that priority. You know. Always. Always. Cuz you live and you die with yourself. You literally you're the only person with you the your whole life. So why wouldn't you take care of you? Yeah. Uh yeah, but uh, Brienne, th- this has been uh this has been really eye-opening. I think a lot of people are going to hear about a, a topic I don't get to talk terribly often about. Uh before before yeah. we go, before we do some plugs, just real quick, my one, hey, I held it I was pretty appropriate this whole time. I asked one inappropriate question. <laughs> Were any of your celebrity <laughs> hookups any any of them win an Oscar? Uh, There's so many winners. <laughs> <laughs> so many winners. <laughs> Did you get to hold it while I would have seen? I'd be the type of like, look, I you're really hot, but like, can I hold your Oscar while I fuck you? That would be. I feel like that's on a list somewhere. Well, that's incredible. <laughs> that's on your bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> you've got your book. You've got your podcast. So you know, why don't you go tell people where they can go find you, follow you, read you, listen to you. Yes, Secret Life Podcast. It's everywhere you listen to podcasts. The book is called Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. You can get it on Amazon. You can listen to the audiobook, which I had to narrate, which was torture, pure torture. So enjoy enjoy me acting it out for you. And you know, you can follow me on Instagram at the Brianne Davis or TikTok the dot Brianne Davis. And I answer any questions. So if you have any questions or you need information, just DM me and I try to try to get back to everybody. And thank you for having me on. It's been so fun. Links to everything in the show notes of this episode. I'm, I'm going to try to not bog y'all down with calls to action at the end. I, I realize that could be tiring. Wish I realized that a few hundred episodes ago. But we're going to try to keep it a little light here at the tail end. A couple things I might say. Try to try to steer you towards. But I just want this to be a relaxing way uh, You know, as you're very slowly finishing up that drive. As you're packing up to leave the office. Uh, maybe you're now trying to rummage around your, your bag for your phone so you can queue up the next podcast you're going to listen to. So I just want you all to know that everything you always need, always in the show notes of the episode. You can also engage with other like-minded listeners about this week's show in the Champagne Room. 
Join us in the episode discussion channel and let us know your thoughts about Brienne, about sex and love addiction, about the show. You want a hot dating tip? I've said it before, I'll say it again. Once you've matched, once you've established a little bit of chemistry, try to move things along to setting a date. The longer you wait to set a date, the less likely it is you're ever going to fucking meet. Tomorrow night, Thursday, February 16th, ooh, ooh, ouch, ouch, hot movie night. We got The Devil in Miss Jones at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time in the Champagne Room for patrons only. And if you want to join us but you don't want to throw your two bucks down for entry, hey, sign up for that seven-day free trial right now and join us tomorrow to watch some porn. Patreon.com slash Podcast. Did y'all hear that Morgan & Morgan commercial? Isn't that hilarious? Finally, a sponsor like I can write home to dad about. Finally, like a sponsor that doesn't vibrate. I love the vibrating sponsors, but I love that like Morgan & Morgan, America's number one personal injury law firm was like, you know, the whore boy. He, I think he's got some people for us over there. Sometimes capitalism is super funny. Enjoy your week, everybody, and stay slutty. <laughs>